Welcome to another episode of Power Move Makers. This series was created with a simple goal in mind, to bring to the table high-level executives, successful entrepreneurs, and just all-around inspiring human beings. Not just focusing on their success, but more important, shining a spotlight on the road they traveled to get there. Now, this week's guest, I had the honor of moderating a panel that he was on a few weeks prior. And I was just so impressed with him, not just as a professional, but as a human being. His ability to articulate and to relate and to really have a deep dive into mental illness, mental therapy. You know, he is a father, he's a husband, but he's a licensed therapist. And I think that he is just so inspiring and so relatable and I had to get him on this week's Power Move Maker series. Please welcome to this week's show, Mr. Kier Gaines. Kier, what up? Thank you, man. What's up, Sean? good with you, man? Pleasure to be here, my brother. Nah, it's a pleasure to have you. Like I said, you know, and I, I'm very, very choosy about who we have on our program. I yeah. love to, to, you know, bring people who inspire, they motivate, people who I can learn from. And sitting there moderating that panel, you blew me away. And I just thought you right. were so impressive because I didn't know what to expect before we started that panel. So I think that the, yeah. our audience is going to eat this up. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, I think people don't know what to expect when they see my face. And then we start talking and we take things all over the board. But that panel was awesome, man. We really connected with those students. Um, and shout out to Joey Badass because he was there and he spoke some amazing truths. And his movie's doing really well. Um, but like, yeah, that was, that was a great panel, man. So I was, I was thankful to be up there with you, bro. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. You're a licensed therapist. You don't just become a licensed therapist. It doesn't work like that. Take me, a, take me back for a second. Mm -hmm. Uh, what were you doing in your past life? What inspired you to become a licensed therapist? How did you come to this place? It was a crazy road, bro. So I started out um, early in my 20s. I used to be a apartment leasing manager. I leased overpriced apartments in Washington, D.C. Bro, we had this one apartment called a bachelor studio. Dig this. 300 square feet. No kitchen. It's just like a, a, a counter with a hot plate on that joint. No kitchen. 300 square feet a room. $1,700 a month, no utilities included. I used to sell them like hotcakes, man. So like, that's what I was doing, willing to deal in apartments in DC. And like, after a while, I'm like, man, I can't work another job where I don't help people. It just felt unfulfilling. The money was straight, but I was just selling, man. I was grabbing people, telling them what they want to hear, selling them candy and then getting them all. And uh, I ended up, I found myself at a nonprofit organization called Strive DC, where they take the, the hardest employed people from all over the city just got out of jail, just came home from the shelter, all that. And we give them attitudinal training and put them back out into the employment marketplace, man, and prepare them for work and just connecting with people there and learning all these different struggles and all these crazy stories just helped me understand what was missing. These people part of my community. I heard these stories before, but I never got to see how it affected them trying to be better. 
And by getting those people jobs, I ended up moving up in the education. I ended up teaching. I ended up seeing like the disparity with our youth, the kids that grew up in the neighborhood that looked like the neighborhood I grew up in. I get to see these kids get murdered all the time. I get to see these kids go to jail. And when I was there, I met a group of awesome black women who were counselors and therapists. And I saw the change that they made in these kids. So I had already had my bachelor's degree and I took my community experience and my teaching experience and my counseling, uh, my college and career counseling experience. And I went grad school, bro. And my wife, my girlfriend at the time was pregnant when I got into grad school. So I had to grind that out. I had just started a new job. It was crazy difficult. Took me three years, but did that. Did all my internships, all my practicums, took my exam. Rest is history, man. You know, when I look at you, when I listen to you, it's, it's two different things. People can get a confused. They can look at you and not see this guy's extremely intelligent, well-educated, he is focused, he's a professional. You're so freaking relatable, (laughs) (laughs) seriously. Like, I don't, when I think of uh, mental health, when I think of advocacy, specialists in that area, I don't necessarily think you think here, but that's what makes you, in my opinion, so effective. Yeah. First, why do you think within the black community, mental health professionals are so grossly underrepresented? And secondly, is that your superpower? The fact that you look and talk just like me and just like (laughs) you deserve it. Uh, damn, good questions, man. Um, I think black people, to answer your first question, I think African, well, I'll say black people because it's bigger than just African-Americans. Black people in a whole are underrepresented in the counseling field because we're underrepresented in the U.S. Like we're, we're a small part of the overall population here. And I think mental health is becoming something that in the last maybe five years, we're starting to internalize in ways that make sense to us. We're learning like, oh, a therapist don't just look like Frazier Crane. A therapist can look like this dude right here who don't say the is to his words. He got on a gold chain and a whole bunch of Jordans in the background. So we're taking the concept of therapy that typically didn't look like us, man. It didn't sound like us. It didn't feel like us. And now that more of us are getting into the field, it's like, oh, that's what that can look like when it's colored like me? I bet. And then in turn, more people participate in the process and participate in trying to become a therapist. So I think it's just time. It's time. It's better understanding. It's the world kind of catching up to its own crazy from the past when nobody had a voice and nobody had rights. And now a lot more people are able to have a microphone at the table um so I, th- I think that'll change in the years to come as far as black people and therapists but me man honestly i think i don't like weird energy i don't like weird people i got a thing where you know if if you're around too many weird people for long enough they'll make you feel like the weirdo man <laughs> and i don't like that so when i approach people i try to approach approach them from a place of like i'm not perfect I ain't got all the answers. My my lived experience is just that. Reality don't exist to me, Sean. We're not living in the same experience right now. We're not getting the same thing out of this right now. It's not one singular thing. So I just, me being flexible and me understanding that I'm not the end all be all, me accepting what I don't know and I don't understand and me being very upfront about my limitations. I 
think that's so powerful to talk about what you're not good at. Everybody want to go everywhere and boast about their trophies on the wall. And then in turn, we keep all the deep dark. Can I cuss? Yeah, absolutely. We keep all the deep dark personal shit in the corner. And then we wonder why humans think they're the only ones to do what they do. We undershare. Hold it to yourself. Man, keep moving silence and all of that shit. We don't share out our struggles. And in turn, we feel like nobody don't struggle. And we so we misunderstand the human experience. And if I can interrupt that shit, I'm with it, man. That's that's like my life goal to say that's not life. This is life. Let's all do life, man. Yeah, I think that that is exactly why you are uh, moving at the trajectory and the rate that you're moving out here. Like I can't see it, bro. I can't see if I'm moving or not. Nah, I really you're don't moving, get it, bro. man. You are moving. You are moving. <laughs> because you're right. You know, when people think about mental health specialists, they professionally, they think Frazier Crane is somebody who's stuffy, somebody who is going to bring you in the office, sit and you sit on a chair and have you lay on the couch and, you know, treat you like Dr. Melfi treated Tony Soprano or something. Like, yeah. <laughs> facts. Facts. Like, oh, that's interesting. And just ask you empty probing questions. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay. So I'm not as smart as you. I want you to break it down into its simplest <laughs> form. What is mental health? Like when, when you think of mental, what is it? Mental health is the state of overall wellness that impacts your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Just that simple. It's everything that goes on in your eternal universe. The world, it's a whole universe out here, but it's a universe in here too. It's a lot that goes on in your brain, a lot that goes on in your heart, a lot chemically, you know what I'm saying? A lot uh, uh, spiritually, a lot metaphysically, like there's a lot that goes on inside here. So uh, mental health is just the state of all of that, where it is and how well you are amongst all that shit. Okay, so now that we got the definition out there, you're a black man, I'm a black man. Mm -hmm. We didn't come up in communities where it was encouraged to go sit. Hell nah. <laughs> you kidding me, man? Some of my homies still don't understand what I do. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, can, can you speak to the important, because being open and being honest about saying, I need to go sit and talk to somebody. You know, it's a new day out here, but the stigma, it still hasn't quite gone away. So can you speak to our audience, especially if you're from a community that frowns on the fact that you might need to go and talk to somebody? How can just being open and honest help you? Man, you know, there's this thing we do as humans where we, our minds go out of their, your mind will go out of his way to protect you sometimes. And it's not always in your long-term best interest. And we have this thing with discomfort and uncomfortable thoughts and thoughts that make us feel less than where we'll go around it. Like we'll give ourselves affirmations. Let's say me, black man, for instance, I'll be like, yeah, I'm a king. I'm a king, I'm royalty. And we'll give ourselves these big up affirmations that don't have the substance behind them because we're too afraid to confront the real issues. I can't be a king if I feel so self-conscious and so afraid to address it that I poison everything around me. But I can call myself a king and completely ignore that. 
Ooh. You know what I'm saying? So, and the same thing goes for Queen. The same thing goes for all of us. It's not just a black man issue, which is really popular to say when it comes to mental health. It's all of us. And the thing is, it's it's not even to make anybody feel guilty. Our brains are hardwired to not really address uncomfortable thoughts and feelings. We go around them because it hurts. Who wants to deal with that? Who wants to feel less than? Who wants to be neck deep in the issue that they feel like they can't get themselves out of? And with Black men specifically, it's a thing of um, asking for help. How we're pillars of our households in terms of strength and in terms of uh, financial reliability. And, And us, if we feel like we don't have money, we don't feel like we're anything. And neither does the world. So that kind of hardwires you and orients you in a certain way that makes it a little bit more difficult to find the words and ask for help. They always say like, oh, black men don't go to therapy. That ain't true. Black men need therapy. Black men are some of my best clients, man. The access to the feelings are there. Just sometimes the words. They, they just need to be, they need help stringing from point A to point B because the upbringing of black boys isn't that of emotional expression. So you become a man that struggles to find the words that depict the ways that you feel. How, how important do you think within our community, and I'm talking black men and black, how important is it for us to seek out and speak to people such as yourself? Uh, Forgo all of these preconceived ideas that if I go and sit and talk to somebody, that means something about me. I'm crazy. I'm going to be looked down on. I'm less than. How important do you think me, Sean, just speaking to care really is for my own wellness? Tremendously important, bro. Tremendously important. You know, one... (laughs) I'm a married man, so I I love to complain about being married. That's like a hobby. That's what we do. But one thing my wife serves as is a a reflection of myself. I get to see the things I do and how how they look outside of my mind's understanding through her responses to me. And I think that to have another mirror in front of you that can take what you're saying, understand who you are on on some human level, who you are on some social level, who you are on some emotional level, and then spit it back at you to kind of give you some clarity. I I think that's uh, that's invaluable, man. But um, I think it's the formal process of therapy that kind of scares people. Mm-hmm. And what it looks like, and the in- people aren't introduced to therapy in a way that feels safe sometimes. Um, so it's it's not just people having an overall reluctance to it. It's it's it hasn't been painted in the best light traditionally, and it's been pretty Eurocentric. It don't it don't feel like us, yeah. you know. So it's it's really important to go out and talk to somebody. But I always use my brain doesn't always process things as fast or as well as I would like. It's just the way my mind works. So I have to create analogies to make shit make sense to me. And one thing I do is a car. A car and the maintenance on a car is very simple, very similar to therapy and taking care of your mental health. You don't want to go and just get maintenance on your car when some shit is wrong. You want to go and get preventative maintenance to make sure all the fluids are running, to make sure the power steering going to be Gucci when you go on that long trip. Like it's preventative. And I think we look at mental health or we look at 
uh, wellness from a practitioner standpoint, like going to see somebody, we look at it as I'm going to fix an issue. And I think it would be great if we reframed our minds to say, hey, I want to make sure everything Gucci and everything stays Gucci. So this is why I'm going to go to my therapist. Your therapist should be in your rotation with your with your barber, your weed man, <laughs> your, uh, <laughs> all that. It should be in the same rotation because that is a team that contributes to your overall well-being. You know, whenever I think of therapy, or let me rephrase this. Whenever we see anybody get in trouble, for whatever the reason is, you see them on the news, you have these sensational stories, it always seems to be this person was affected in their childhood, and now that's the reason that they bugging out 30 years later. Yeah. How is that a cop out or is that real? How much does childhood trauma really affect the way all of us act in our present day situation? Tremendously, man. Um, There's so many models on child development, particularly these two guys uh, named Piaget and Vukotsky. I'm trying not to nerd out on y'all right now, but they made some developmental models. Uh, there are hundreds of them that exist in terms of childhood and, and like what that looks like and what those stages of development are. And sometimes if you're missing a piece from one stage, you don't fully graduate to the next stage. So that's like having a loving and responding and warm parent. That's having a, a supportive household and domestic environment. Like you, trauma is... I think we look at trauma as like this one particular thing that can happen or this big event, but trauma can be a grain of sand. Um, For instance, my personal trauma, I've never seen my mom date before. Never seen her go on a date, never seen her with nobody, none of that. And when I became a young man, dating was such a weird concept for me. Now it's arguable that that's not trauma because, you know, with the definition of trauma can, can, it can vary depending on who you ask and, how that person shows up in the world, but early childhood trauma has been scientifically proven to to tremendously impact people's thoughts, feelings, and behaviors throughout the rest of their lives. Most of the things we do now are residue from coping skills and social behaviors that we learned in childhood. You know, the world tacks that away. You learn you can't respond what from from a negative reaction. You, you test the world around you, and when you get pop pop, you you augment the way you do it a little different, you know. So we're just we're we're big babies walking around with that mindset, man, who just kind of got thrusted into adulthood over the years. Um, yeah, early childhood trauma is real. I don't know, I can't say it's a cop-out because you don't know it's a difference between what affects someone mentally and the actions that they subsequently take in the punishment that they'll have to face or the consequences that they'll have to face. That's a sliding scale. It's tricky, man. We see it all the time. But mental health has been the source of a lot of barriers for people in our society, particularly Black people. The institutions set in place don't really support it in a way um, that's conducive to long life and health. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's a murky water. I wouldn't say it's a cop-out, but it's definitely a contributing reason, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you've been dealing with so much of this since since childhood, can you give any advice to, to all of us? Like, how do we go about breaking toxic patterns, patterns that are constantly setting us back, constantly that um, 
patterns that are constantly getting us in trouble. Like, how, how do we, number one, identify these patterns? And number two, go about breaking toxic patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you already said it, man. One of the best ways to break a pattern is to shine like the brightest light you can find, the brightest light of awareness, shine it on that joint. Don't run from it. Don't leave it. You know, every time I get into an argument, I punch a hole in the wall. Don't run from that. Don't run from that. Sit with that. That's the uncomfortable. That goes back to the uncomfortable feeling because then you have to kind of figure out, well, why do I do that? And that's almost guaranteed to be tied to a very painful childhood memory. Wow. Or a childhood experience almost every time, man. So it's, you you have to be aware of what you're doing away from the shame and guilt that you feel from doing it. And second, you have to recruit people. You have to know your limitations. I know I alone can't fix this issue with me. I have to bring in people to help. Who can help me feel accountable? Who can help me be responsible? Is there a larger issue? Am I taking care of all my medical needs? Am I taking care of all my dietary needs? I always say, like, you want to be uh, an observer of your emotions and not a passenger prisoner of them. You want to be able to look at them and be curious about them. Like, I'm feeling this again. They go that feeling again. They go that thought again. I know where that come from. You right there. I'm touching you. You right there. You can't hide from me. I know it's there. I'm address it. I don't run from it. You know what I'm saying? The, the second part of that is when you recruit the team and you hear things about yourself that you don't like, you, you, have, to, you have to know that acceptance of that is going to be the first step toward not doing that again. And you can't fix what you're not conscientious of and you can't overcome what you can't overcome alone. Wow. Wow. Okay. Are there any, are there any signs um, that we should all look for within ourselves? To, to identify that maybe my mental health is getting worse. Like, like I'm on a decline. We all got stressful lives out here, all, every one of us. Absolutely. We're worried about bills. We worried about our job. The pandemic is driving us crazy. You know, we've been quarantined for over a year now. Like, like are there any things, you, you talked about putting a mirror in front of yourself. If Sean was to put a mirror in front of himself right now, what are the signs that I should be looking for that might indicate my mental health? It's on a decline. Yeah, um, I'm a huge fan of writing and journals um, because they allow you to go back and really get an accurate snapshot of where you were at the time. You can smile in the picture and look happy as hell, and it doesn't really spell where your mind was in 2018. You might not remember. So just having reference and tracking the way that you feel, even if you use something called a mood calendar they have now, where every day you just press a button, this is how I feel, this is how I feel. And if you can have a track record of your happiness or your overall state of wellness getting uh, dropping over the course of time, I think that's a sign. Now, if it's not well documented, you live in life, you paying bills, you feeding babies, you keeping your significant other happy, you're not going to be able to track all that. Like that ain't, that's not going to happen. Um, I think one thing you can do is listen to the people around you when they say that there have been changes in your behavior and not just anybody, because people always got something to say, but people that you know, and love and trust and people that you know will give you honest opinions. I think that if you sit down with yourself, um, a lot of times we don't just sit down in a quiet space for five minutes, not distracted by phone or music or no. pop 
podcast just with your thoughts and really think about where you are in your own mind and your own space right now. And if you can do that, and if you even have the smallest inkling, in, I mean, I'm talking a kernel of right size inkling in, that something's off or not right or not like it used to be or not how you would ideally like it to be. I think that is a great indication. It's really easy to say, nah, it's all right. Oh, it's just a phase. It's just a phase. But if you, it's just a phase it long enough, your brain will rewire itself to think that that is your new normal and you won't feel like anything is off anymore. So uh, just being really conscientious of what's going on with you, um, asking around, ask friends for honest opinions, uh, go back and, and take a hard look at where you were a year prior compared to where you are now. I think those are really good starting points. Okay, we spoke about indicators, or you mentioned that just now. What are some indicators? Because mental health, it's broad. Uh, You know, there are people who we look at, we all know. And, you know, when we think of depression, we don't think of them. But these people are unmotivated. Uh, some might even say lazy. They just have no oomph. They got. They, they don't have that thing that that makes them want to get up and do. Mm-hmm. Is there a way to distinguish for anybody? Am I depressed? Am I on the borderline of being depressed, or am I just? lazy? Am I just unmotivated as a human being? That can be tricky, man. You know, the doctors always tell you, don't go to WebMD and start diagnosing yourself. <laughs> say, say, say that one more time. The doctors will always tell you, don't go to WebMD and start diagnosing yourself because you have a stomachache and, and you're walking there thinking you got testicular cancer. Correct. Right? So it's one of those things where it is very hard to self-diagnose Um, issues like depression sometimes. And depression is a very nuanced thing within itself because it could be chemically induced. It could be environmentally induced. Um, There are a number of contributing reasons as to why someone could have depression. I don't know how an individual distinguishes between what that's what we call self-deprecating thoughts. So, oh, I'm lazy. I'm not good for anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not motivated. I don't have it. And what I'll say to that is nothing happens for no reason. Nothing just exists because it exists. You feel a way because there's a contributing reason. Think about your feelings as a bar. There's a little hook on that bar that's weighing it down. And there's a hook on that hook. And there's a hook on that hook. And there's a hook on that hook. And those those hooks represent things in your life that have happened that you either didn't completely cope, you didn't completely bounce back from, or you haven't found a way to acknowledge and cope with in a healthy way. Um, So nothing just happens. Nothing's just there just because there's something behind it. Um, you can, I don't know if you can distinguish it if it's just you yourself. I think you really have to rely on your intuition to say, hey, something's not right and to really work up the gusto to do something about it. Um, because perhaps you are just having a day where you do feel kind of lazy. You don't feel like doing anything. Or perhaps you're clinically depressed. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's more of a reason to really seek mental health professionals for preventative reasons, because you won't have to guess. You won't have to guess. Now, well said, well said. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to switch the tone of this interview in a second, but I want to ask you one last question before I do that. Uh, good question, Sean. You, yeah. 
I see you, man. No, nah, I try to ask questions that I really want to know the answer to. Like, just so, you, you know, kid, uh, again, I spoke about the pandemic earlier. I spoke about being quarantined. I'm t- typically a very, very upbeat, happy guy. I love nature. It is springtime in New York City. This is still trees blowing in the background. Yeah, man. Like, I'm feeling good. Like, but for months, Living in in one of the coldest freaking cities in the United States, like we in, we in the house eight months out of the year. Um, on top of quarantine, what are some healthy habits that you can prescribe that you can suggest that we can all do to keep ourselves mentally strong? For sure, man. Um, actually, I just started May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I started a thirty day mental health challenge, the Care Games Mental Health Challenge. Um, and the, the point of the challenge is to have people dedicate some time in their day every day to their mental health. Like yesterday, the goal was just to do a stretch for 10 minutes. Nice. And I think sometimes I'm not going to speak. I'm not going to say what people do. I'm going to talk about myself because I know I represent a lot of people with this. Um, what I have a tendency to do is look at baby steps like they're not enough. Like, nah, change got to be this big grand boom, like this big explosive transformative event. And I look and I'm just completely dripping with difference. Like, uh, it don't really work that way. Sometimes it's the little teeny steps you take every single day that lead to a massive change eventually. But I got to keep reminding my brain of that, bro, because I don't always feel that way when I'm struggling with stuff, but I can't. You know what I'm saying? I can't make it happen. So doing something like a 10 minute stretch where I increase the, the range of motion in my in my arms, man, and my flexibility and in, in my circulation, doing something like a brain dump. I actually got it right here where I just wrote down a whole bunch of thoughts. I gave myself 10 minutes and just dumped a whole bunch of thoughts down. Um, I picked up a new hobby. Look at this. They ain't doing too well, but I got plants, man. i had i had to pick up new hobbies man i started using candles i use candles in different fragrances now i'm tired of seeing my own four walls you have to do things that please the very small parts of you you have to do things that please the very small parts of you um I, i went outside and i took a walk with no music no nothing and just sat and listened to the birds chirp you know, I have my mask on and everything, but I, I still did that. I think it's changing the routine. I think it's establishing routine. I think it's taking uh, um, to protect your mental health in this pandemic. I think it's looking at your habits that you do every day, figuring out what's healthy, what's not. I found out I'm eating, I'm eating so much food, bro. I'm not even hungry. I'm eating because I'm bored. You know, uh, I'm trying to find a new hobby. I used to rap and now I, I started writing down. I'll put an instrumental on. I'll write, I'll write eight bars real quick. It's it's interrupting the Groundhog Day nonsense that is the world we live in. But most importantly, Sean, it's remembering, bro, that this ain't normal. There you go. This situation ain't nothing normal about it. This is crazy. Just because we renormalized it don't mean it's normal. You feel me? So um, I think those things are a really good start, man. Talking to people that you have fond memories with, talking to friends, making time for people, even if it's FaceTime. 
um, understanding your boundaries with the COVID. Some people, I'm, we we double vaccinated, you know what I'm saying? Some people can come over the crib, some people cannot, you know? And it's uncomfortable to tell people they can't come through to the crib. So it's just a number of different skills, a number of different things you can employ to kind of keep on top of your mental health. But remember, man, you, you're fighting in a war right now because the outside world is nuts. Nah, well said and absolutely. Uh, you know, Ken, why I have you here? Even as I was thinking, what does this conversation look like? Yeah. I know I had to go down the road of mental health, but I was really fascinated and intrigued and looking forward to the conversation because you're a Black man and you're bold. Yeah, I'm black, black, bro. Not, but yeah, yes, you're black, but I'm saying- I'm black, I, black. <laughs> you're bold about being a husband. You're bold about being a father. Like, you don't hide it. You celebrate it. Like, like I am happy in this relationship. I love this part of my life. So I wanna, I wanna because there's somebody who's gonna be listening to this. Mm -hmm. And while I have a professional in the mix, let's help save somebody or save somebody's relationship or help somebody get into a positive, a healthy relationship. So I guess off the top, one of, one of my first questions to you is, why do most relationships fail? <laughs> most relationships fail because uh relationships are hard man like it's an overwhelming number of relationships fail but it's that's a really complicated answer i guess this my take on it the most simple that i can give you um is because people grow and there's a stark contrast between the things that people need as they grow and the things that they think they need at the beginning of that process um and i think relationships are tip are really complicated because you're not necessarily going to grow together because you're in the same relationship and we also have ridiculous expectations around love and dating they don't make sense um, so I think when you couple all of those things together, uh, relationships are unfairly set up to fail, especially when you add in the idealism of romanticism versus the practicality that you need to get through a real, uh, not an Instagram relationship, not matching Jordans and kissing under a waterfall relationship. I'm talking about that 4 a.m. baby, we need to talk relationship, you dead. So it's, it's, there's. It's too many universes colliding at the same time to have competing priorities. And that shit is messy. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, you know, you know something? And, and here's a real question. We don't know all dated. And, you know, I spoke about this before. Like, you can go out on a date, first date, second date with somebody and, you know, come a month or two months in, you like, who the hell are you? Like, I, I don't even recognize you as the person I met two months ago. Come on now. You know, as a professional, as somebody who is successfully married and, and, and doing it right, should people, should you be you on the first date? Like, like, is, is that <laughs> <you>? <laughs> hey, I think I keep it too real for these questions, bro. They're not going to like the answers. 
Um, th- yeah, thank you, man. So I don't, I might be successfully married, but one thing that my wife and I acknowledge is the fact that next year we could easily not be married. That's and right. Keep that in mind. So please take everything I say uh, with a human human grain of, of, of salt and love. Um, should we be honest up front? Ah, man, I hate the word should. I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, the mask comes off eventually. One way or another, the mask. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> One of the things that make relationships so difficult is we all play the game in the beginning. And in some ways, you got to play the game. If I walk up to you, be like, what's up, baby? My name is I got a negative 43 credit score. I've been beefing with my mama for three years, and I got gingivitis like hell. You're going to run for the hill, shorty. Like, and, and it would be the same thing if the roles were reversed. So you have to play the game a little bit. I think if you give somebody everything that you are in the beginning is way too much. But I also conversely think that if you put on this bravado of, you know, how to Instagram uh, fake uh, fake masculinity goes, I'm going to pay all your bills and I'm going to provide for you, shorty. And when you realize you ain't that dude, everything collapses. So like it's, 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 it's treading a fine line between being yourself and keeping the game going long enough for you all to be slowly introduced to each other. Uh, I wouldn't recommend somebody to let it all hang out on the first date. I've been on dates with young women who like, man, I feel comfortable with you. Let me go ahead and let you know five years of information in 15 minutes. And we did not speak for long after that. You know, so there's something to be said about modesty and slow burning that process. But it's also about being honest with yourself and being real. And to expect someone to be honest and real with a person they just met who's practically a stranger, y'all gonna hate this, but I think that's a tall order given the way that humans act. And I have a lifetime of evidence to prove that I'm not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Stand along those lines for one second. Would you reckon, I mean, we, we have all talked to women who off the bat is going to tell you, this is what I'm looking for. The list. And lay, and lay it out in great detail. Mm-hmm. You know, forget bringing your truest self to the date. They are bringing this. I'm looking for, mar- I'm looking like you got to be this, that, that. Is that recommended? Like, you know, should a woman come in and just keep it, a hundred off the bat about her expectations. There is no confusion. You know what we, <laughs> we move forward. You signed up for this because I yeah. told you from day one, brother. Yeah, as you know, I, as a black man, I try not to make a career telling black women what they should do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I try to refrain from that. There's enough brothers out here doing it and doing it wrong. Um, I, you know, I think that it's really good to walk in and have to norm somebody on what you will and won't accept from them. I think there's something to be said for having those standards. But I think there's also something to be said if you walk into a situation with a list of requirements and in turn, that person doesn't really have that same list for you. And then my my question is, well... Not what do you contribute, but like, what is this person who you're giving this list? What is their definition of contribution? And do you match that? Because some men only want you to just, you know, they, I got everything. I'll take care of everything. This is what I need for you to do. And some men are very 
a little bit more, hey, I want us to be in this thing together. Let's split it down the middle. I know when you talk about splitting anything down the middle in terms of relationships and dating, there's a whole group out there that's ready to snatch your head off. But I'm not talking about just monetarily. I'm talking about in terms of like responsibilities with the kids. Me and my wife tag team my daughter last night. She was up crying till 4 a.m. She's like, I got first shift. When she was too tired, I was like, baby, I got it. Tag. That's not everybody's reality. So I know that seems like a big thing. We're talking about kids and you're talking about a first date, but in the ideal situation, doesn't one lead to the other? And I think like those very early signs kind of show you what a person's ceiling is in certain areas. But, um, you know, I, the, the list for me personally comes on a little strong because I don't like when people come to me with expectations before they even figure out who I am. Um, and I think I understand the frustration, though, in dating with women. I get it. I get why they come with the list. I hear stories from these sisters about dating. Sean, it's crazy, bro. It's crazy. It's crazy, man. <laughs> what some of these dudes out here doing. So I, I get the frustration. And also, they living in a different universe than we do in terms of love and relationships. I could probably spit out babies until I'm 60. There's no clock for me at all. My wife does not have that luxury. You know, and then the Instagram pressure and even my page doesn't help with this. You see the happy family, the black family, the strong goals. It puts a lot of pressure on women to make that happen. And the world puts pressure on women and women put pressure on women. And it's just a lot. So I can understand why the urgency is there. Me personally, I don't like that. I like for us to figure out who we are organically. And then if it works, we move into that. We lean into that thing right there. And if it don't, we can sabotage and try to find happiness elsewhere. That's right. That's right. Okay. Um, is there anything that women can look for, right? Because we've all heard you got to kiss a bunch of frogs before you can be a prince. But can they shorten the process? Like, you're a happily married man. Is there things that women can look for to say, yo, you know what? He's husband material. And I don't need to make a bunch of mistakes before I figure out certain qualities that make a man worth my time. This is somebody I can invest in. This is somebody who's going to pay me back dividends one day. Are there things that women should be looking out for so that they can just cut a million of these bad experiences out of their life and identify this man is actually worth my time and could be husband material. Man, you know, that's shooting hoops in the dark, bro. If, I shoot, <laughs> if I'm in the dark and I shoot eight three-pointers, might make two, might miss eight. Who knows? I, there's, there's no way. It goes actually back to your point about being honest up front. You really don't know who you're dealing with. Was it Will and Jada? I think it was Jada or Will Smith. One of them said that they talked to this married couple who, uh, who was married for years, man. I mean, like, I can't remember. It's a famous couple. It was like they were married for like 50 years. And Will and Jada uh, asked, like, let me get what's some marriage advice. And they said, oh, how long have y'all been married? And I think Will and Jada said, like, oh, 20 years. And they said, oh, y'all don't know each other yet. Mm. That's it. I'm still learning about my wife. I've known her for six years, bro. You never stop learning about other people. And I don't know if there's a secret sauce. I don't think that there is to figure out like, oh, well, this man is marriage material because 
Like he could look great on paper, but in terms of what he wants and what he envisions for himself and the type of man he will, like it's it's one, the man you are when you just out here jugging and you doing your thing and you a single man, that's, that's one man. The man that has a wife and a child, he's not that man. You cannot be. You think differently. You move differently. You have a different purpose. You have different people leaning on you. So you don't know that man yet. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? He hasn't gone through that fire to become this thing that you envision for him. You don't know if he's capable yet. You don't know if he has childhood trauma that'll limit his ceiling and his potential. Like you just don't know a person that will yet to put everything in a husband bag or or conversely to put everything in a wife bag because we don't spend enough time telling these young men like, hey, bro, be discerning about the women that you associate yourself with, Bob. Like, don't be out here. I'm going to keep it a buck. Don't be out here hitting everything that moves like that. I always tell young dudes, don't be out here hitting everything that moves. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Be smart about the women that you deal with. Be smart about the kind of woman you want raising your daughter with you. You know, and that's not a perfect science either. So it's it's no magic sauce, man. It's dating. Dating sucks. It's a lottery. I could lie to you and I come up with a whole bunch of bullshit and I could sell a book to say, this is what you look for in a man. That does not exist. Men are not a monolith. Black men are not a monolith. We have different motivations, different desires, different past experiences, uh, uh, different ways that we show up in the world. Um, and I think anyone expecting there to be a singular answer is setting themselves up for a lot of disappointment. Yeah, so true, so true. I mean, uh, you know, maybe you just answered where I wanted to go because I, I was going to ask, why, why do you think so many of us, and, I, and I'm going to speak about the men because I am a man, Mm-hmm. Um, but it applies for women too, is, you know, we, we, we smarten up after the fact, after <laughs> we don't let a good woman go after we done effed it all up. Now, all of a sudden we get like, like this, this sudden awakening. Yeah. And, and we smarten up, but she's gone. You out the door. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's a number of contributing factors, man. It's, you know, monogamy is difficult for people. We don't, we don't want to acknowledge that. I don't, I don't understand this weird old game we play when we think that just because we're romantically involved with someone, we don't see anybody else. I don't understand how you can spend your formative years uh, as a teenager moving into a young adult having sex with any and everybody you want sampling all of the different plates at the cookout and then you are stuck with a fixed menu at some point like that doesn't make sense for men or women but the desire the expectation is there that's what a relationship is so it's the reality of the relationship versus the reality of your humanness versus the inability for us to connect those things because it's such an uncomfortable point but we see it every day and it's 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 difficult it's difficult. It's difficult for everybody. And I think sometimes the way the human brain is wired, you really don't know what you have until it's gone, man. When my daughter was a baby, I, man, I hated it, bro. I hated every second of it sometimes because it was like, I can't wait for you to grow up and me to have a bond. I don't know what you think. I don't know what you say. And now I miss them days. Man. I just want my little squishy back. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I had to lose it to really understand what it was. And when you play with human emotions, there's not 
room for understanding. Ain't nobody going to tolerate that. But I think the same range true. And I think that's a problem with both men and women. Like, it's, it's very easy to mess up a good thing because you can only see what you have. You can't really see what's in the future. You can't envision the greatness that might that might unfold later on. So you can only act on the present. You can only act on your motivations and you can act on your desires. Your brain is like cheating. Like, I hate to go to cheating, but like the whole area that fucks up your relationship real bad. Like the brain is pre-wired to do that. I literally have, I have a book on the brain, bruh. I'm not just talking, I'm a, I'm an empirical evidence kind of guy, man. And it's 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 difficult. That part of the relationship is difficult. It's difficult to be involved with a bunch of men or women and they get into this monogamous relationship where you're used to like, oh, what y'all got on the menu? Oh, I don't like the Caesar salad. Let me get the house salad with the strawberries on it, right? You could do that when you're single, but when you're in this relationship, if you don't like the salad, you gotta eat the damn salad. You got to throw some salt on that joint until you like that salad again. So that's that's a difficult reframe for people. And we just we can't acknowledge that because it's such a painful thing to say out loud and to and to put a level of reality. onto. It's the truth. And it's it's interesting because, you know, even as I think of surviving, entering into uh blossoming healthy relationship there's there's so many of these dichotomies think you know i'm from the south bronx right i got six brothers we were taught my mother like like forget my father my mother taught us you better never let nobody put their hand on you and don't knock them out if you see something like strength was instilled in us it's not celebrated in any way, shape, or form to be soft, to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But when you enter into a relationship, the same woman who taught you, you better be strong. Mm-hmm. Now they want vulnerability. <laughs> and I, I, I guess I would have to ask you, put your therapist hat on. Oh. How does somebody who comes from an environment that advocated strength, being weak, softness was not allowed. It was not tolerated. It was frowned upon. Now, all of a sudden, you're expected to be vulnerable. Open up. Share your feelings. Share your thoughts. How, how does that work? Thank you. It, it all kind of lies in the way you conceptualize strength, because the way you just define strength to me, that isn't strength to me. That's tough. Mm. And toughness and strength are very different. Toughness is more about resilience and strength is more about capacity. To me, my own internal definition. No, well said. Well yeah. said. So I think it depends on how you define strength. And Black people, specifically African-Americans, we have a tendency to define strength by whatever's left of us after we've gone through the gauntlet. And that- Elaborate. Elaborate on that. So you're strong because life has thrown you all these obstacles and it's chipped away at your spirit and it's chipped away at your endurance and it's chipped away at you as a person, but you're still standing at the end of the day. And sometimes we measure strength 
not by the fact that you're still standing, but how much stuff you went through in order to still be here. And that's not the definition of strength to me. Um, so it's like in order to be strong, you got to go through a whole bunch of shit. You know what I'm saying? And I don't I don't subscribe to that necessarily, even though much like you, that's how I was brought up. That's the environment. So anybody who's listening, you from the D, I don't, the D.C. area, you from D.C., you know, I'm from Southeast. Like it's 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 real. It's real handsy over there. Like ain't much time to talk. Or nothing. It's reactionary, survivalistic. So that's the environment I grew up in. But yeah, man, I don't know. It's 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 tough. You have to reframe your idea of strength. My new idea of strength is actually flexibility. Flexibility is my idea of strength. Um, and I think I said it at the when we were talking on the forum. How silk is so strong. How silk is as strong as steel. Uh, pound for pound, it's the strongest natural textile on earth. And strength, still strength is in its stiffness and its rigidity. But silk's strength is in its flexibility, man. It's so flexible. And it's going to be a, a, a tough reframe, especially for my brothers out there. But there's strength and flexibility. There's strength and diversity. There's strength in being able to play one role. And then turn around and be able to play another. Jay-Z comes to mind. Diddy comes to mind. These brothers exemplify and demonstrate strength through their flexibility, man. They move throughout the times. They don't get stuck up on one particular thing. They'll move around it and keep on the upward ascent. And I think emotionally, we can do something very similar, but it's going to be redefining strength. If, if you redefine strength, if strength, your definition of strength is just that lack of that softness and that vulnerability. Once you get married and you have a child and you have a family, you'll realize that that toughness ain't going to make your family strong. That them dollars don't convert, bro, at all. Yo, that, that's why I wanted to have you on this program. You, you feel me? You were so dope, kid. You just broke that down so dope, man. Thanks, bro. Like, like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just got my money's worth out of that last <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. But I know you feel me though. Like it's we deal with this shit all the time, and I don't understand why Kid Games and Sean Perez are like talking about it now, where in the open, where there's opportunities and hopefully inspires opportunities for others to talk about it just as open because we're not the only people in this reality, bro. That's not right. By long shot, not by long shot. Uh, where do you stand with, and, and this is this is an issue in a lot of relationships, where do you stand, stand with opposite sex friendships? Is that healthy? <laughs> it, some people come into the game like, yo, you ain't the first person I met. I, yeah. I got a lot of friends and they just happen to be female. Or yeah. conversely, women like, I got a lot of friends and they're male. Slippery slope. My best friend is actually a woman. We've been best friends. She's also a clinical psychologist. She was in my wedding. Like we've been, me and Nisha have been best friends since the 10th grade, man. And I think there's a difference between a friend that's platonic. You know what I'm saying? It's obviously platonic. And let, 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 let's, let's, let's be honest before you go there. It, it's, in some cases, it don't matter. Like, like some people, just the thought of somebody else ringing your phone of the same of of the opposite of, sex yeah. presents problems. Yeah, I mean it, that goes back to that person's lived experience and their stuff and their baggage 
and what's motivating those behaviors from them? Where's their self-confidence? Where's their sense of security? Where in your relationship, do they feel reassured on the back end that it's just a friendship? Do you have a history of violating these type of friendships? Do you have a history of attention-seeking behavior from the opposite sex that your partner can be concerned about? Like, it's it's not that cut and dry. I think we do think like, oh, opposite sex, it should be cool as platonic, but you know, boundaries get moved all the time. Things happen all the time and your partner's comfort level is going to come down to like what they came in a relationship with or what happened in the course of y'all's relationship. Like you said, we always mess. Not everybody messes up a good thing, but sometimes you get real damn close and you get close (laughs) enough so that your partner don't trust your ass as much doing those type of things. So I think it's a, it's a lot that goes on when it comes to opposite sex friendships. My personal thing is I don't mind. My wife can be friends with whoever she wants. That's the relationship that she and I have. That's the trust that we kind of built up over the years. Um, she's the kind of woman where I feel like she doesn't need that, like that type of energy from her friendships. Like what's the motivation for the friendship? For her, I honestly believe it's just to be a friend. I could be wrong, I ain't stupid. You know, but that is the trust that I'm giving her in this relationship. If you don't have that trust, then that situation is impossible. You can't, you can't do that. You can't, uh, uh, you can't give somebody a check when they ain't got no money. Like, what, what you cutting it from? There ain't no money in the bank. So I think people need to take a good hard look at what their relationships look like holistically. Uh, but if everything's lined up, I think friends of the opposite sex are so powerful, man. I have two really good female friends and bro, they just give me perspective that the homies cannot. You know, they've, right. they've been invaluable to my marriage, to my mental health, to my perspective on what goes on with women in the world because I don't always understand. What goes on with black women because I don't always understand. And I need that shit broken down in this most simplest form by somebody who's not going to judge my ignorance and who knows me intimately. While we're on the topic of sex, and I know we were talking about sex in terms of male and female, let's talk about sex in its, in its uh, rightful meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is an age-old question. I'd like to get your, your thoughts on it. How long should a person wait? You out there, you're dating, you're looking for Mr. Right, or you're looking for Mrs. Right. How long should you wait before you engage in sexual activities? Uh, my, my, simple que- my simple answer is whenever you're comfortable. I don't... I always ask what's the motivation on holding off sex, specifically if it's an interaction that you desire to have with that other person, if you're waiting them out or if you're smoking them out or um, whatever. I always wonder what the motivation behind that is. But, uh, you know, it's whatever you're comfortable with. Sex is weird. Sex is weird because we don't really overtly talk about it with the people that we have it with. Like it's it's never like an in-depth conversation. Even when you're married, sometimes my wife and I realize early in our relationship, like, oh, we don't really we ain't talking about sex for real. We just make it happen and then it happens and it's done, you know. And then we started talking about it, and the intimacy went through the roof, man. And I've never had a conversation like that. I'm 35, bro. I've never had that conversation before. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know the benefit of making someone wait. Um, I don't know. It could be circumstantial. It could be situational. I don't know. I, and my question is all, my answer is always going to be when you're comfortable. And my question is always going to be, well, what motivates this? What's the reason behind it? And then examine that and see if those efforts will actually lead to the outcome. 
Because if you're single and you're holding off sex, everyone knows there's eight other numbers in this phone. Like, you're holding off sex with you. <laughs> I'm still getting money over here. <laughs> so, uh, so um, yeah, yeah, it'll come down to that, that answer and that question for me, definitely. Okay. Uh, you know, let's move kind of in a different area of relationships for a second. You've been with your wife for some time now. Long time, bro. <laughs> Not really. You know, obviously, every day the sun ain't gonna be shining. Of course not. Is there any advice you can give in terms of how to argue or conflict resolution? Because a lot of people don't think that you should be arguing. It's the end of the world if you do, or yeah. when they engage in all, they just go too far. So what can you, any advice you can give just in terms of, obviously there's going to come times where there's going to be conflict. Here's some healthy ways to resolve mm-hmm. and to argue in a way that it doesn't leave long-term damage on your partner. Man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's important. I actually talk about it. On my Instagram page a lot. Follow me on Instagram, Care Gains at K-I-E-R-G-A-I-N-E-S. I talk about this a lot. I have this series on my IG called The Breakdown, where I take popular TV shows, popular scenes that we all remember, and I break them down from like a social and psychological context and, and take the deeper meaning out of it, help it relate to all of our lives. And I recently did one on the episode of Martin, where Martin and Gina bought them trash Valentine's Day gifts for each other, and they started arguing, man. It got worse. Then he said something about her daddy. He said, your daddy's so tight, back into a wall and suck out a brick. You know what I'm saying? She said, "Well, I'm not your mama." And then she talked. He talked. She talked about that boy, mama mustache, and it got bad. And that's what we call a need to win fighting style, where someone feels disrespected, so they disrespect, and then an increase in the problem that y'all arguing about has completely been buried underneath your bickering. And now it's not about resolving the issue; it's about a need to win. So my first piece of advice would be to, and I say this a million times, and I'm gonna say it until the day I die. Make the problem the problem and not the person. If the person is the problem, you you won't resolve the issue. That will be your enemy. If the problem is a problem, you have a teammate in solving the issue, which leads to number two, which would be uh, table it if you need to. Not every cake needs to be eaten in one bite. Like no one goes to Cheesecake Factory, gets the snickerdoodle cheesecake and swallows it like a Motrin. You know, you eat that joint bite for bite and arguments are the same way. There's this urgency we feel to, man, we got to squash this now. And that's because of anxiety. We want it to go away. We want the hurt to go away. We want the hurt, the pain to go away. But we're in a relationship with another human that's not connected to us through no type of umbilical cord or nothing. We don't transfer information that way. So it's not going to be that smooth. And then the frustration kicks in. So it's understanding that. I give people this uh, tip, man. Record your arguments. Record your arguments. You'll be surprised when you look back how you come off. Wow. Mm. Yeah, you'll be surprised how you come. You're like, damn, I look like that. Damn, I said that to you for real. And then, you know, when you get an argument with your SO all the time, you didn't say that. Yes, I did. Hey, we recorded it. Let's run back the tape. You know what I'm saying? So it's, I think, I think those three tips will help a lot. But the fourth and biggest tip that just popped up in my brain is understand 
that conflict is healthy in a relationship. It's supposed to happen. There's no way you can always be in a state of, and if you are, I always wonder, what is lying underneath? Because a mountain just a mountain until lava come out the top of that joint. That's right. You know what I'm <laughs> That's right. Uh, okay. Say you make it through the dating process. Um, and now you're talking about taking that extra step. Whew. How important <laughs> for you? I mean, people come to see you. You have your clients. You, you're talking them through a lot of their issues. But now we're, we're, we're talking couples for a second. Mm-hmm. That's a different thing than individuals, by the way. Completely Correct. Yep. Premarital counseling. Mm-hmm. Coming as a couple and talking to somebody. How mm-hmm. important is that? And should that only be implemented before you get married or talking about getting married? Or should you explore it? Like, look, we want this thing to work. Mm-hmm. Let's go just talk to somebody and, and, and figure out how to, to navigate our way through this relationship so that we do have longevity and we can get mm-hmm. to that jump in the broom process. Yeah, I, I absolutely positively recommend premarital counseling before you get married. And not just like pastoral or religious based counseling. I need you to go and see a licensed clinician, um, not just religious based, a licensed clinician to, before you get married. I think that's absolutely essential. And to continue doing it um, long after you all are married. Our, our counselor is amazing, man. He's expensive as hell. The guy <laughs> we got, <laughs> he don't take our insurance, but he, he's been amazing, man. He's helped my wife and I. Um, really learn to communicate and become closer. In terms of relationships, I mean, you know, if there's conflict that's unresolvable, I don't think there's ever a bad time to go go to counseling because even if the relationship don't survive, like the nuggets that you take away from those counseling sessions could be tremendous. If you have a kid together and you all can both commit to going to counseling, even if you're not together, I think that'll go a long way towards communication because you're going to grow in different ways and you're going to have to find ways to talk to each other, even when you don't like each other or disagree with each other, which is the same purpose of a premarital counselor. Um, it's just a way that the people walk into like relationship counseling and they think that, oh, he finally going to tell her she was wrong. Oh, he finally going to tell him he was wrong. If, if a couple comes to me, you are not my client. Your girl is not my client. Your husband, your wife, your partner, y'all aren't my clients. The relationship is my client. And the Mm. relationship is who I work in the best interest of. I don't pick sides. I'm not on your side. I'm not on your side. This, my client's the relationship. I'm bringing you all to a place where you can constructively have a conversation to to go through your issues and meet resolution and cope with the things that have happened in the meantime. So... Um, if, if you feel like you can benefit from any of that stuff I just said, I highly recommend counseling. I think it's amazing. Some people are more willing to go to relationship counseling than their own personal counseling, which is fine with me, because if you get a good counselor, you'll come back for your own personal. And because that type of counseling works best when each person's in their own individual counseling anyway. Got you. Got you. Uh, you know, I got a two part question here. you know, you speak about your child often through this um, conversation. One of the uh, 
areas that I have personally found that people suffer, um, even in the strongest of relationships, is when the baby comes along, either the mother becomes a mother first and your wife, spouse, lover second, or the father gets so deep into the child, it's father first, husband, spouse, lover second. Like, what are your thoughts on, you know, and I don't want to put my personal thoughts out there. I'll just see if you're in line, but what are your thoughts on, nah, like, us as a couple come first. If we're not strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not strong. Like, where do you stand with that? And then secondly, it often leads to somebody looking outside the relationship after they're being neglected for some time. And is there any ways to prevent that? Yeah, we we definitely see that happen a lot where people go outside of their relationship to seek the things that they, they feel like they need in a moment. Um, you know, my wife and I are very team us, you know, my daughter is, she's the newbie, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? I didn't, this is going to sound crazy to some people, but just stick with me. I didn't commit to my daughter. I didn't, I didn't commit to her. That wasn't the relationship I entered. That's one that developed as, um, a result of the relationship I entered in with my wife, my girlfriend at the time. So we're very us first because we feel like if we take care of our relationship, then everything else up under it grows. But if we're just giving my daughter the attention, that's not a healthy household. I dated uh, a lot of different women who were in households where their parents were married, but they didn't talk to each other. And I can tell you, you're not doing your kids any favors that way. I see it all the time. Like kids are extremely perceptive. They know y'all hate each other. They know it. (laughs) They know it. And, and, and it, it drags them down. It affects the type of person they eventually become, whether you want that or not. I think in an ideal world, you know, Instagram going to do its thing and Twitter going to do it. It's God, then the wife, then the kid, then the baby birds. only one way to do it. There's not one way to do it. In a perfect world, my wife will always come first. In a perfect world, I will always come first to her. It don't work like that. Sometimes she needs to take care of that baby before she can get to me. And that's okay. It's flexibility, man. It's not one single singular thing. It's never that. Sometimes my daughter has to come first. My daughter has to come first sometimes. Sometimes my wife has to come first. It's not a perfect world. So I don't think there's any singular way to go about it. Um, I try to make it so that, you know, my pie is only a hundred. I only got so much of me to get. Some days my daughter get 20. Sometimes she get four. Sometimes my wife get 99. Sometimes she get 0.32. You know, it's not, it's not always going to be, I'm not always going to be able to pour from an empty cup. That's not, that's just not, it's not realistic, man, no matter how much I want that to be true. Um, so yeah, that's the first part. Give me the second part again. What was the second part of that question? I was just asking, um, I remember the first part was definitely, um, you know, and I agree with you hundred percent. I am team us first. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and then your kids, we got to be on the same page. We got to be strong. And then I think you already answered it when you, I, I was saying, how do you prevent somebody from cheating? How do you oh, yeah. get a person from looking outside of the relationship? Because now they feel like they're not getting, you know, what they need from you because you're laser focused on them kids. I mean, it's, it's cliche as hell, man, but communication, you can't stop nobody from doing the damn thing. If somebody's going to cheat, they're going to cheat. They may not do it tomorrow. 
But like that's that's something that you have to it's monogamy is not easy. You have to purposely not put yourself in situations where you can do that. If a person's not inclined to do that, man, I'm gonna hit this happy hour, man. I'm gonna hang out for an extra hour after the party, and you're in a situation where those things can happen, it's gonna eventually happen. Like that's what you subconsciously you're, you're gearing up for. So it's just making room, it's making the soil fertile for that plant to grow. Um, you can't stop anybody from cheating on you because someone cheating on you is symptomatic of what's going on with them more so than what's going on with you. You can't fix someone else's stuff. But if the relationship is in a way where that person doesn't feel like they can talk to you and you, they feel like they've been in, ignored and neglected by you, no matter the circumstances, if you're in a relationship with somebody, it is incumbent on you to, to in, in some ways, see that something is not aligned and check in with your partner. This is in no way blaming anyone for if their partner goes and does some extramarital shit because that, that's not what this is. But it's communication. It's talking. It's saying, hey, babe, like, what's up, man? It's been like two months. Like, even that tone, that tone sounds very, I can imagine me asking my wife that and her being like, bro, do you see what I got going on over here? Like, I got a kid, I got work, I got this, I got that. Now, the person is about to be the problem and the problem ain't going to be the problem because she feel like I undermine her now. So it's like, what do two hurt people, if two people screaming, who the hell listening, man? Mm -hmm. And there has to be a point where you step back and say, hey, the problem in our relationship isn't that you aren't giving me the attention. The problem in the relationship is that I don't feel like I'm getting the attention that I need. And if you listen, those aren't the same things. The first one blames the person. The second blames the situation. So it's it's that's that's how humans go, man. You want what you want. So you just want to go and dog out for it. Like, nah, man, I need the and then you in turn piss that person off and not only do you not get what you need you've you've inadvertently undermined your partner in an area that i'm sure is very sensitive so now two people man it's even easier to go slide out and, and, and find somebody at the bar and do your one two thing so it starts with the communication it starts with creating an environment where it's safe to hear and be heard and it's safe for that person to talk and have you listen to understand and not just to respond, which I think is a fundamental issue in almost every single relationship I've ever laid eyes on. Well said, whoa, great answer, great answer. Uh, before I let you go, I got another question um, and I think it's relevant and appropriate in these times. Uh, you know, you said you're 35 years old, after, after people get over a certain age, mm -hmm. they're not in school every day. They're not in the clubs. They're not meeting people, yeah. you know, at the same rate that they once did. It's hard to meet people. Like, what is, and, and now the pandemic has, has really made it almost impossible to meet new people. Yeah. What, what is your thoughts? Uh, and maybe you don't have an answer to this. And if not, it's okay. Uh, dating in a pandemic. Where, where, where are you at with, with social apps, with some of these some of these dating apps? Um, any recommendations for anybody who's trying? Like, I'm, I'm just sick and tired of being alone. I'm sick and tired of being in the house. I, I want companionship. Where do they go? Especially, we're not going into the office no, no more. We're not using public transportation the way we once did and you just can't bump into somebody like it's not like we're all hanging out yeah. do you suggest people get on these like what is your thoughts man i ain't i ain't been on a day app i think the last time i was on tinder man 
<laughs> it was a long time ago. I don't even <laughs> long time ago. Um, you know, I'm not sure if I have an answer to how that works because I don't think we figured that out like as a collective yet. Um, I my single friends always ask like how the game going and the answers don't seem to change. <laughs> pandemic, non-pandemic, it just seems like it's a bit of a struggle for people dating out there. Um, what I would encourage people to do um is one really figure out like loneliness because loneliness can lead you to a lot loneliness like tequila man it can lead you to a lot of mistakes (laughs) (laughs) you know what i'm saying it can it can make you um overlook red flags that in any normal circumstance would be an absolute deal breaker for you because loneliness is real man it's at an all-time high um, I would recommend only going as far as you're comfortable with. Like if you're not comfortable with the day naps, I think most people just use those to, to smash real quick. I ain't even gonna lie. I don't know if people are really looking for like viable relationships. There are some people who are, but I've, I've heard, uh, heard a mix and it seemed like 80 trying to smash, 20 trying to look for something real. Uh, go off your comfort level. If you need to take a break, nobody want to hear take a break from dating, but it's okay. Like it's okay if you need to take a break to recollect yourself, to recalibrate. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know what people are doing in this pandemic about dating, man. I really don't. I could just urge you to try not to make any permanent decisions in a situation that's temporary. I don't just mean getting pregnant, but I do mean getting pregnant. I also mean like, you know, cohabitating with a person with who in normal circumstances, you will realize is not right for you. Hanging out because of the pandemic, like a lot of relationships where a partner is abusive, you know, intimate partner violence, IPV is a real thing, man. And it's, it, it has gotten progressively worse during the pandemic. So um, it kind of makes, room for situations like that to happen where a person may not feel like they have an out or an escape. So just be vigilant and conscientious of what your loneliness can lead you to. And always kind of be aware of would I rather never have this love or would I rather never have this love the right way? And I don't know if there's an answer there, but knowing where you are between those two things will go a long way towards helping you not completely build your uh, build a house of cards. <laughs> Yo, that is so hard. Would I rather never have this love or would I rather never have this love the right way? It's Ooh, tough. That's gym. It's tough, though. It's tough. Ooh, that's it's tough. tough. It's tough. It's tough because I was able to answer that because I ain't never been. I'm, I'm a dog. I ain't never been like this is my first. My wife disagrees. She thinks I was in love before, but like this is my first time like in love and love, man. So like it's weird. It's a weird space for me, and I can now finally see how people be like, no, I just want this. Like I know everything is bad. I know this ain't right for me, but it's mine. I I, I get how that could happen. But I also come across these men and women who are divorced once their kids leave the house. And now they have to rediscover themselves again. And for some people, it's worth it. Me personally, it's not. And that's not to make that's something that each individual person is going to have to decide where they fall on that. But I think asking yourself that question just goes a long way um, towards being open about what your situation is versus what you would like it to be. Beautiful. Kier, where can my audience find you at? 
I'm so glad you asked. Uh, y'all can find me on Instagram. Dang, I got all the socials, man. Y'all can find me on Instagram. It's uh, at Care Games. I do a lot of mental health content, a lot of family content. I'm doing 30-day mental health challenge for Mental Health Awareness Month. It is going amazingly. Got a lot of new projects coming out. I'm excited about. But yeah, follow me on Instagram at Care Games. You can also follow me on YouTube. Uh, our YouTube channel is Care Noemi. Uh, we do a sit-down talk where we delve into like relationships and we my wife is the same as me she's no hoes boss she's an intellectual property and uh entertainment attorney so she is like sharp and quick and she's very real and it's just a great channel to come and hear the things very similar to like what we're talking about today the things that people get about uh we're very open about it so check us out man care knowing on youtube care them on instagram come join the community i would love to have y'all Kid, thank you so much for uh, just being you. Like, like you know, I enjoy moderating that panel with you. Yeah. But having this opportunity to go one-on-one, have an in-depth conversation, you, know, you are so dope. And I'm going to make sure I push this out to as many people as humanly possible because people need to come in contact with your perspective. And like I said, I think what makes you... Uh, so effective is is your relatability. Um, you definitely come across like the community that you're serving, and and it allows people to drop their guards, to 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 feel good about speaking to someone like yourself. So thank you for your candor, thank you for your insight, and thank you for just being you. You are a true power move maker. Thank you. Oh, thank you, brother. That means a lot, man, especially coming from you. I really appreciate that. Those are kind words, man. I take that to heart. No, I say it with all sincerity, brother. I do. Thanks, man. I appreciate that, Don. Thank you for having me on. When you asked me, I was like, you kidding me? Yeah, man. Let's let's make that happen now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy to be on, man. This was an awesome experience. I could talk. I could do this. We can do this for another four hours if you want, man. This is very healing to me, too, for real. Just talking to another black man who I know is, I hate the term walking in his purpose, but like real talk, man, who's developing a platform and saying things of importance and not just adding more space uh, with filled with words that don't mean anything. We got enough of that. So I thank you for having a platform like this so people like me can be amplified and shared with the world, man. It's very important. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. See you guys on another episode of Power Move Makers, the series. Care you the man. You the man, bruh. <laughs>